all a part of this movement we've been having in travel for a very long time, which is to go where the locals go, be where the locals are. Because when we meet the locals and we understand their effort, we become less of a consumer and more a part of the world community. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and creative guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. And I love to hear from my listeners. My new website, ZestfulAging.com, is up, and it makes it easy for you to leave comments or suggestions. As a psychotherapist with a specialty in food and eating issues, I know that the holidays can be a real challenge when it comes to food. Food and family visits are often a tricky combination. So if you'd like to learn how to have a more peaceful relationship with food, eating, and your body, both during the holidays and the rest of the year, check out my web course, The Wisdom of Mindful Eating. This course is super practical and it's user-friendly. It has the power to change your life. You'll find the course on the website, zestfulaging.com. And our music is provided by Judy Banker, who was a guest on Zestful Aging, and her CD Buffalo Motel will be out January of 2020. You can find out more at judybanker.com. Well, I've got my Jack Russell Sparky right by my side, so let's begin. We have a great guest for you today. Samantha Brown is easily the most recognized woman in the travel Uh, television today. The Emmy Award-winning host of PBS's Samantha Brown's Places to Love is known for her warm, engaging personality and her ability to convey the true character of the people and places she visits throughout the world. Inspiring wanderlust since her television journey first began with Travel Channel's Great Hotels, Samantha has been to over 250 cities in 62 countries countries and 40 of the United States. Her enthusiasm for travel and passion for connecting viewers to the people and the cultures of the destination she explores has meant that Samantha's focus remains on the must meet rather than on the must do. Hi, Samantha. Hi, Nicole. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk to you. We have uh, sort of crisscrossed a little bit in our lives through different states. And um, I know that you're a Syracuse University alum. And my office is about a mile and a half from <laughs> where, you mu- where you once tread. Um, I'm so happy to talk to you today. Tell us what it means to focus on must meet rather than must do? Uh, Well, for me, I feel like we all travel in order to feel like we belong to this world. And that really only happens when we are connecting one-on-one with people of a different place. And so uh, in uh, my series, Places to Love, I meet people who you can meet. And we understand um, less about my experience there, but more about 
the effort that it takes to create the experiences that we as travelers just get to show up and have, whether it's a wonderful meal that someone cooks, a work of art from an artist, music that is played. Uh, Because when we understand how hard it is that people have had to work to create what they have, um, all we wanna do as travelers is support that effort and to make sure that it thrives. And for me, that is all a part of this movement we've been having in travel for a very long time, which is to go where the locals go, be where the locals are. Because when we meet the locals and we understand their effort, we become less of a consumer and more part of the world community. Oh, that's a beautiful statement. And it reminds me of this um, term that's been going around lately of cultural humility. Huh. This is the first time I'm hearing that term. Okay. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's, it's something that um, is, you know, for people studying these kinds of things, diversity, being a citizen in the world, they're talking about cultural humility and knowing how little we actually do know. I, I, I totally agree with that. And, and the, when I travel more, people, you know, tend to give me the title travel expert. And it's something, uh, it's a title I've always been um, uncomfortable to have because I don't feel like I'm an expert in anything. I don't come in with any sort of bravado or ego. I'm lucky enough that I just get to spend time in other people's everyday lives and I learn from them. So that that sense of humility has always been with me as a traveler. And where did that develop? Do you remember as a child getting the message that we have to have some humility about others' experience, or is this something that's individual to you? Um, I feel like it, it actually began, began later in my career, Nicole. I, I, I got the job, the best job in the world, and I thought I knew what the job was about, which is about going to places and seeing things and checking things off your list. That was travel, because as a child, I didn't travel a lot. We, we went to our, my relative's home in Pennsylvania. Maybe we went to Canada as a special trip. Um, but travel, certainly to foreign destinations, only began with my my job. And what interestingly happened to me is that uh, after two years of going to all the greatest hits um, throughout Europe, which is a dream, I, I really didn't want my job anymore. And I didn't know why that was. But um, I just felt like maybe I wasn't a traveler. But then I went to Latin America. And we were there for a year shooting uh, uh, 12 episodes. It takes a while to shoot a travel series. And in Latin America, everything changed for me. Um, And what happened was Latin America doesn't have all the massive pomp and circumstance that Europe has. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have the cathedrals, the castles, the museums that you spend all your time in Europe exploring. And what I didn't realize is that when that was my focus, um, that I was always in the past. When you're in those castles and cathedrals, you're always in the past. And in Latin America, it's more about being in the moment and meeting the people where they are in the place that they're at. And all of a sudden, I totally fell in love with travel because I didn't really care about the, the, the cathedrals and the castles and the museums. I loved being with people. There's also a, a tremendous sense of loneliness that happens when you travel. You are never home. You are going from hotel to hotel. You're never having leftovers from your refrigerator. And so for Mm -hmm. me, it was just about going out even on my own when the cameras weren't rolling. 
where I just wanted to be with people. I wanted to be with people in their place. I didn't care if it was four star or five star. Um, I just wanted to be where the locals were. You wanted to have some nice street food, I think, and talk to the regulars. Exactly. You ju- I just I just <laughs> wanted to be where the people were at and not where the tourists yeah. were. And so that, that gave me a tremendous sense of humility as well, where I was vulnerable. I was deeply vulnerable when I travel, still, still am. And I really, truly relied on, on the kindness of strangers. You know, uh, getting back to this idea of uh, the beautiful history, like I'm thinking of Britain or, you know, Europe, and it, but they're things, right? It's architecture. Mm-hmm. And you can only, I mean, even in Bavaria, some of the things that like um, are really beautiful, but also incredibly grand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at that and then there's a burnout, yeah. right? It's like, okay, that's gorgeous. It's old. Yeah. It took incredible skill to do that casting or whatever you're talking about like that doesn't I don't want to put words in your mouth but it feels like you're saying you you know there's only so far you can go in terms of feeling connected and nurtured you want to be with humans yeah I I always we in in our series we always find the emotional value of being there so just the simple Mm -hmm. knowledge and the historical knowledge of something does not give us an emotional value and a great example of this is when we were in Strasbourg France and they have a cathedral there Um, and whenever you go to Europe you spend a tremendous amount of time in cathedrals and they basically all all have the same history. But so we asked the cathedral if we could find someone who represented that emotional value of the cathedral, because it still is the heart and soul of Strasbourg. So what does that mean? Is there an organist who's been there for five generations? Is there is there is someone who cleans the pews? Who's the human behind this monolith mm-hmm. of, of architecture? Mm-hmm. And do you know they couldn't tell us anything? And I was really surprised by that. And so then finally, after a lot of deep, deep, deep digging, we found a place called the Cathedral Workshop. And the Cathedral Workshop was put in place um, 800 years ago to house the artisans that initially built the cathedral. And it has been running continuously for 800 years. And now it holds the artisans, the stone cutters, the stone carvers, who take Ah. care of the cathedral now because of course these are huge restoration products projects and they need love and so we showcased the cathedral workshop and met these young stone carvers who love their cathedral and are are taking pieces of it and creating pieces that will go back into the cathedral to preserve it for the next generation that's what we're talking about and what surprises me nicole is how many Entities like that, sites like that, don't get that that's what we're going for. They just kind of rest on their historical laurels alone, and they don't understand the human connection we want to have with these places. Now, one of the things that's particularly impressive about your work, Samantha, is it's all you. I mean, you know, we talked briefly uh, before we went on air about how you own your production company. You are in charge. You're the director. You're, you do everything. Do you bring a sense? I mean, is part of what is happening here because you're a woman? I mean, I don't want to be sexist, but are you looking for things that are more sort of typically seen in the in a woman's realm, which is where are the people and where's the human connection? Is that? 
something that you know I don't I, yeah, it could be possible I think you know for, first of all I, I have a team of people and I do have a director and she is a woman as well um, so <laughs> I don't do everything in terms of uh, camera work and sound and directing I have a team of people who are right. wonderful but I am the executive producer basically the buck stops with me I'm the one who calls the shots and it's um it's great to have that but um boy I think that's because I certainly have met plenty of men who have the same empathy that I have so I wouldn't uh-huh. want to categorize it as a male female thing um just I that this is my approach and how much of this, I mean, you have a very interesting history that you have a degree in musical theater. <laughs> and I know that um, that's actually a very competitive program. I mean, I know you laugh about it, like, yes, they really do have degrees. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, some of my clients are in that program. And it is brutal in terms of what they ask you to do rehearsal wise and you know you're going to New York City and do it's a lot what do you bring um you know sort of what's you what unites what are the characteristics that you bring being someone who has studied musical theater who's interested also in comedy and um and and that how does that all blend in well I mean literally I got the job because it was all improvised they just said here do this and I was able to do this because of my background in acting and I took plenty of improvisational classes and and so when you host a television show there is no script Um, you get the information and it's your job to drive the action be informative be uh, be funny and again there there is no script you just go with it and so those four years of that um, discipline um, at Syracuse University certainly helped me understand that arc of a scene and, and I still talk about my show as in terms of scenes, not segments, because mm. I, am st- I am storytelling. And for me as an actor, my background in acting, we were always taught that you never judge. Uh, you don't judge. You have empathy for. And, it, and your action is always in the other person, not yourself. So for me, my show, even though my name is on the title and you're really following me, the series is not about me. It's about what you can do. And I really, that is my, that is my mission to show how people can travel, what they can do now. Uh, so sharing an experience, inviting people. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very different than saying, this is what I yes. know. Um, here's how to do this. Here's what happened yes. here. This is what they primarily, you know, do for entertainment. It's, it's more like come along and and let's have some fun. Exactly. And I, when I first got the job, I, I was an actor. And I thought, what's a host? I don't want to be a host. But I knew right away that I wanted to be, this is 20 years ago, so television has changed a lot. But I knew I wanted to be uh, less of a host, uh, less of an expert, and just a real person who people could connect with. I was traveling the world for the first time, and I simply wanted people to come along with me on that journey. You know, it wasn't about what to do when and if you go to Rome. You're coming to Rome with me now, and we're going to have this experience oh, together. Lovely. So that was... I. That, that's a, a whole lens. That's a whole different way of doing this, I suspect. Yes, because I never wanted to be um, um, instructional. I never wanted to be someone who uh, told people what they should do and kind of have this professorial approach to this is what I'm doing. You should do this. this it, the show is never about me. It's, it's always about the person I'm talking to and the person we are about to meet. 
That's lovely. Do you have a person in mind, um, a, a sort of avatar, <laughs> when you're talking and you know you're you're in that and you're saying, "Come share this with me." Who are you thinking about as your audience? Well, that's a good question. I, when I started this many years ago, um, I think I had my my best friend in the lens, so it would relax me, and I would speak more just conversationally than. Um, sort of journalistic, you know. I didn't want to be that, but but when you're on camera, you you kind of slide into that really easily, being more sort of stiff, yeah, a little stiff, right? So so I I tried to do things like, well, how would I say this if I was talking to my best friend? Um, because I certainly wanted the viewer to feel that they were my friend. And now it's just a, a general audience that after 20 years of doing this, it's pretty natural to talk to talk to a camera. Mm-hmm. Hey, Zestfulagers. Last year, I attended the International Federation on Aging's Global Conference in Toronto, and they've announced the 15th Global Conference on Aging for Niagara Falls, Ontario, from November 1st through 3rd, 2020. Zestful Aging Podcast is a proud partner for this conference, and I encourage you to all consider attending. The conference features prominent experts presenting and discussing critical issues within the field of aging. So head on over to ifa2020.org to learn more. And I hope to see you in Niagara Falls in November. So take us through, let's, let's uh, go through what happens. Let's say you're in Latin America in a country you've never been in. So you fly down there and you have about a day to kind of settle in to your hotel or how, what's the, what does it look it's like? It's a huge process. Um, first, we have producers that fly down way before me. And they, if we have, we've researched the show, we've researched, uh, you know, activities and people we can meet and how we want the show to look and feel. And we'll go down with maybe 15 ideas. And my producers, uh, one will go at a time. I have a few that travel ahead of me. Uh, we'll meet every single person and see where we're going to be. So we can meet the person. We One, we understand that they're real. A lot of times people can be a little fictitious online. <laughs> so... We, oh, really? Of course. So we, we are, it's called the pre-pro and we are vetting our, our show. And so we take the 15 experiences that we really think are good and we whittle it down to about eight. So we cut it almost in half. So you'll sit with your producers at this point or you're still, you're still in New York and they're down in, um, whatever yeah, so, country. So they'll fly to, uh, so a good, you know, they'll, they'll fly to, gosh, uh, now, now all my shows have just gone up. So they'll fly down to Santa Fe. And we'll have 15, 15 ideas. Okay. And they'll meet every single one. And then they'll report back to me. We sit down. Um, you know, it's all through email because we're all from different parts of the of the United States. And this was good. This wasn't good. This person was phenomenal. Great on camera. I mean, certainly being good on camera. Are they going to be able to be expressive? Ah. Are they going to be comfortable on camera is, mm. is a big deal. And also, uh, just physically, are we going to be able to do this? Uh, we have a crew. We have a, two camera people, a sound person. I have a stylist and digital manager. I have an executive producer and a director. So we're, we're a sizable team. So when all that is figured out, all of it is scheduled ahead of time. And we have to get releases. We cannot show people or, or go into their business without a release. Once they sign the release, yeah. So there's a lot oh, of logistics behind shooting travel. We cannot oh, show up sure. anywhere 
and just start shooting. Um, we can't even be on a street and start shooting. And it's, it's to protect people and people's privacy. And then we shoot the scene. It takes us four days to shoot what is, uh, ends up to be a 24-minute show. And it's 12 hours a day. So it's, it's wow. a lot. And you have just come off. You're probably still experiencing some <laughs> I'm, jet I'm lag. I'm finally recovered. No, I'm finally recovered. I, we stopped shooting. Our, our shooting schedule mm. is usually March through September or April through October. But when you're actually, you fly oh, down yeah. and you start shooting, yes. Yes. There's, a, there's a time change. And so you still have to yes. look fresh and yep. lovely, even though you yes. probably a little short on sleep and you may have, I mean, I don't want to put a negative spin, but uh, travel can no. be yeah. not always so um, smooth. Travel is rough, that's for sure. It depends on the hour difference. Um, we flew down to New Zealand uh, this year mm-hmm. and we'll do a day to acclimate because it's such a massive, I think it's like a 15 hour time change maybe even more than that. Oh my goodness. Um, Europe, we all arrive and we shoot the next day. And so it's just, you know, we put on a little extra makeup. That's something that I have always put in my budget, uh, which is a stylist. I've always had a stylist and she's become my best friend. She's been in my life for close to 15 years and she she puts me back together oh, again. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Before and after, quite yeah. quite impressive. So you go down your shooting, long days, and then you go back to your hotel room. You have, I, uh, you take your meals, and or do you usually try to have some alone time to to eat, or do yeah, you absolutely. usually? Yeah, absolutely. I, your I need crew? a tremendous amount of alone time. I'm actually a pretty quiet, reserved person, but I do enjoy being with people. But when you are with people all day. For 12 hours, and, and it mm, is my job mm. to make the the people feel comfortable being with me, talking to me. So, you know, we talk on camera, but then we talk off camera. I'm trying to get more stories out of them that we can then, uh, you know, talk about when the camera's rolling. You know, my whole purpose is to make them relax with me. So they're more natural on camera, and they don't even mm-hmm. feel the camera anymore. And they're just real people. And that's that's tough. It's it's you know we have two big cameras on people, mm-hmm. so work. I'm very conscious of that. And and it is absolutely my job to make people feel at ease. And and they are our guests truly, even though we're sort of in their home or their shop, they are our guests. So. Mm-hmm. And so then you take you try to have a little alone time. It's the end of a long day. You go into a hotel, and then. What's that like? It's a it's a place you've probably yeah, I never think, you been know, one, before. One thing about travel is that uh, one of the hardest parts is you're, you're relearning your minutia every two or three days. You know where are the where are the plugs? How do you turn on a light? How, how long does it take to get hot water? So your hotel room, even though it's your a uh, little, re- you know, place of respite is also like, oh, I've got to figure this place out now. One thing I love to do, mm-hmm. Nicole, that absolutely fills me up is I go to grocery stores and I buy food and I bring it back to my hotel. <laughs> I get very tired of eating out oh. all the time. And I love to make myself little meals. I'll assemble salads. I'll make sandwiches just to have that sense of home. Wow, that's that, and that's just a fun thing to do when you're in other countries. I find that to be like so delightful to say. Yeah. Wonder what you do with this, or yeah. look, this is in exactly. a jar rather than a can, or you know, it's. The, I mean, that to me is like one of the yeah, most fun I, things you can do, right? Is, I agree. It's also a great uh, language 
education. I, when I was in uh, France for a long time, I would go to their grocery stores and learn the language one canned good at a time, you know, because we, we, we recognize, you know, grocery stores are the same no matter where you are in the world. There's the dairy section, there's the, you know, so we, there's a familiarity immediately, no matter, you know, and then yes. how things are displayed. So you'll see, a, you know, corn is la mise and, you know, uh, and so I was, I would learn how to speak French <laughs> through the labels of canned goods and what was meat, you know, so it would help inform oh. me when I was at the restaurant and I could, I could order things that I recognized. So the, the, the grocery store is one of my favorite That's places to wonderful. go to as a traveler. Yes, I've been known well, to course. bring things back exactly. that I can't get here. I've got, I, I, I oh. brought as much clotted cream back as I was allowed in the coolers from Cornwall. Right. So that, so you do that. And then, you know, it, it, do you have any kind of sort of practice, any, like any way that you uh, rest or, I, I hate to use the word like comfort yourself, but like sort of stay in a calm, uh, sort of comfortable frame of mind when not only are you in a different country, mm -hmm. but you're not in your own bed, obviously, you're working uh, all kinds of hours, mm -hmm. you're doing a lot of emotional work, which is fun, but tiring. I mean, are there besides going to the grocery stores, do you do you have like stress reduction ways that are helpful when you do this kind of travel? I would say the the biggest stress reducer I do in terms of bringing that sense of comfort from home with me, I, I always travel with a teacup. I have a porcelain ah. teacup and saucer and I, it's a bit of home for me. I don't begin my day unwrapping a plastic paper cup which is nice. I'm also, like you say, being a minimalist, not taking more trash, more not, you know, contributing to it. Mm -hmm. And I've got, a, you know, a thick pair of clean athletic socks that I shove the teacup in so they don't break. But I love having tea in my teacup. And I'll have it in the morning. And then I'll have it when I'm done. I'll have an herbal tea at night. But I drink oh. from a real cup. And it's really it's it's just been lovely. I, I love traveling with my teacup. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful ritual. Is that something that you just kind of came upon or did someone suggest that to you? No, I just kind of came upon it. I love tea in the morning. And um, just like you said, you, you, you know, it's like, how, how, how can I make this more comfortable for myself? And that sort of mm -hmm. sense of self-renewal, which I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate for. You just need to, to reboot yourself. And what I've always mm -hmm. found is that it doesn't take much right? It's, it's just these little things that we miss. And one thing I missed from home is every single day I make myself a cup of tea and have it in. I have a whole collection of porcelain teacups. Some I've inherited from my grandmother herself. And so it's just, again, it's not only a sense of home and familiarity. I'm not, you know, putting more trash in the earth. And, um, and I just love it. It's just, uh, it's really, and, and one time when I was uh, at a hotel, my saucer broke and it just split in half. And I, I left it out uh, because, I, you know, I unpacked it and it unfortunately broke. And do you know the housekeeping glued it back together again with a, oh, with a little note? Gosh. And I just thought that was the nicest thing anyone has ever done for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was just lovely. So, of course, I left a big tip. <laughs> 
And because, you know, and just wrote a note back saying that was such a, a simple act of kindness that I deeply appreciate being far from home. So, And so is there a sense that you, I, I don't know exactly how to word this, but that you have people that you've made this connect emotional connection with all around the world, which is, you know, what what you're doing. How does that affect your life knowing that you had this lovely interaction with the housekeeping person in, you know, in Latin America, or maybe in France, you had this lovely conversation with somebody in the grocery, or maybe in Vietnam, you had, how, what is, how does that affect your life having had these human connections all throughout the world? Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's something I never expected I would have. And I understand the gift that I have been truly given because I know that it doesn't matter what you see on the news or read in the newspapers. When you travel, we are all just human beings and no one, uh, you, you, you read these stories that were, you know, people hate us or we hate people. And it just changes when you meet them face to face. And I have been given that gift to know that no matter where I am in the world, I have been treated with such kindness. And I will say people always ask me, well, what do you mean? How do I meet people? How does this happen? And I like to tell them that first of all, when, when I have a connection with people, it can be the tiniest interaction, but it makes you feel like a million bucks. So mm-hmm. you, you're not going for like yucking it up with long lost, you know, college <laughs> roommates here. You're going for these right. small interactions of kindness. Like a touch. Just, just a touch and it will change your life. You know, a good, good example is if you go to France, uh, one thing to know about going into any shop is that a shop owner treats their shop as their home. So when you walk into their home or their shop, you greet them. In America, it's the exact opposite. We're greeted. Mm -hmm. So when we walk Mm -hmm. into a shop in France and we don't greet them, they automatically see that as rude. And they don't understand we're American. They don't understand that we don't understand the culture. They just think we're people coming in. But if you walk into a shop and just say, bonjour, madame, you know, mm-hmm. bon, you know bonjour, yeah, mademoiselle, um, it changes. And they come over to you. And another thing I tell people to help a conversation is you never say, do you speak English? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that can be seen as either a challenge or a put down. And simply, you know, because we're all, we all need things when we travel and we're in different countries where they speak their own language. If you simply say, Mm -hmm. even in English, uh, no Spanish, English, Mm -hmm. that changes, Mm -hmm. that changes the dynamic immediately. And people are there to help you. I have only received kindness and 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 the idea that we have to speak in full sentences or or conjugate verbs or 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 look at an app to say okay this is what i want to say that's not how we do it per you know eye contact a smile and being polite is all you need to have a really wonderful meaningful experience have you had the experience where you have seen people doing quite the opposite. And um, it's not only Americans. I mean, I've seen this, uh, you know, who are like, uh, I'm here to be served. 
give me what I need. It mm-hmm. says no pictures. I'm taking pictures. How do you, how do you respond to people who have a very different, almost a, a consumer attitude hmm. towards I mean, traveling? I don't know why you're doing it. You know, um, I definitely think there are the people who feel like these are the experiences to have, and we need to check things off our list, and we have paid for this experience. But I, I just all I could say is that's a that's a bad attitude to to go anywhere with. You have these experiences, but I have always found that when um, they've gone wrong, <laughs> or when Plan B was the was now up for grabs because Plan A was was um, uh, rained out, we have had an amazing experience. So I think being well traveled and being a good traveler is being able to be spontaneous and go with the flow. And understand that anything mm-hmm. can become a really great moment. I have been in really bad situations. I mean, not like dangerous situations, but just we're like, wow, this is not going right. But with an open mind and just patience, it turned out to be something really lovely. Unexpected. Unexpected. And then that moment and that experience becomes your own. It wasn't something that you bought. It wasn't on the tour. It wasn't something that was going to be, um, that, you know, was a part of your itinerary. It's yours. And I guarantee you that is going to be the story that you tell your friends when you come back home. You know, when you're, when you blew out a tire or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you couldn't get the meal, the place was closed. So you had to walk another half mile till you found this other cafe and you were angry and upset, but then the person was lovely. And it's just, you have to find, look for those moments if you're if you're not if your heart isn't open well you're talking you about your incredible skill in improvisation and as you're talking about this I don't want to get to you know uh, like uh, metaphysical or anything but it seems like that's sort of like life is the whole thing's an improvisation we plan all the time and it doesn't work out you you know, uh, most of the time, exactly how we plan it. So what do you do then? It's it's such a great point. And as um, now that I'm a mom, and I have six year old twins, and they've been traveling with me since they were four months old, I understand that how I react to situations, they're watching, and they're seeing what's happening. And as you know, adults, we tend to lecture children about, hey, you just got to go with the flow. Hey, that's not sorry. Didn't work out your way. You know, buck, you know, buck up, butter, buttercup. But then they see us get upset when things don't get our way. And that's where they're really learning and listening. And I know a lot of uh, grandparents take their grandchildren. And so just I think it's such a great lesson for us is that, listen, I have to do what I preach which is, hey, it just Mm -hmm. doesn't go your way. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't get exactly what you want. And yet what you will get is could be so really wonderful. It's important for you to teach your children flexibility and openness. Absolutely. It's just like, hey, mm-hmm. it's this is an adventure, guys. And we're, we're lucky to be on it. Mm, Absolutely. A lot of gratitude lucky. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd like you to, uh, if you could speak to some of the people listening in who are now having an opportunity to travel because they are in the stage of their life where maybe they've launched their kids and things are winding down in some ways and then so there's maybe more freedom and they might be a little nervous especially women who are not traveling with partners but they know that you know time is ticking and there's a lot of time behind us maybe not as much in front of us can you talk 
to women about how to start? What would you recommend for people who are not necessarily seasoned travelers, but who might want to start traveling? Well, if you feel that you would rather be in terms of safe and more confident with a group, there are plenty of, of women travel groups that actually plan trips and go out. I think that's a good place to start. I know that for me, I have always loved solo female travel. And I think you open yourself up to people and people open up to you because they see that you are alone. And a lot of people can infer that, oh, that's dangerous, but it's not. People are more kind. They, I, I like to go into restaurants and eat alone. I, I love because I get, I get a little more extra attention. And you know, it's interesting, Nicole. When I travel, I see, I just talk to everybody, and I meet a lot of people. <laughs> and women are fearless when it comes to this. And so, just know that if you, if there's anyone on the fence or there's some trepidation, there's a whole community out there for you. That they're doing it alone. They're joining groups, and and you don't have to be with the group the entire time because I know it's kind of like this forced community, but it's not. And you have your own time alone. So if you have trepidation, I would get with a group, a, fee, uh, a women's travel group, uh, that absolutely schedules its your own alone time. So you're not with the group the entire time because that could be uh, somewhat challenging. And but I just know that the uh, the women that I meet that are out there oh, are wow, just wow. That loving sounds it. that sounds delightful. That sounds delightful. So tell us a little bit more about where we can find you now that we know sort of your secrets and um, we know what goes into making these shows and how your approach is really I think very unique and. Very very accessible. Where can people watch Places to Love? Well, we are on your local PBS station here in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. You can uh, find out the, the schedule by going to their schedule to see where, where it's listed. Or you can go to my website, samantha-brown.com. Mm-hmm. My series is called Places okay. to Love, and we have a tab uh, that says TV, and it gives you, you could plug in your zip code to see where it airs. So you can find me that way. Perfect. And um, and then on my website, I have all my tips, and I've got great articles and of just how to travel, solo female travel articles, and of which I'm, I'm, I'm one of those women who are on my own a lot, so I understand the concerns and what people would want to know. And um, so I just hope people visit me there and, and watch the show. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And I have been on your website, and there's also a beautiful little video um, talking about how you got into this, what you bring to it, what you've learned. Oh, it's yes, really yes. a delight. Yeah, everyone wants to know how did you get there. that job? <laughs> 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 and I think what you're saying is it's mostly wonderful, and then there are times when it's quite lonely and there's sacrifices. Absolutely. I mean, it's a job that has uh, tremendous rewards, but the rewards come at uh, with a lot of effort. And I enjoy the effort, which is good. But um, when, when the cameras roll, it's, it's showtime, and the show is fantastic. <laughs> Well, uh, it has been so fun learning about you and the show, and it makes me want to get on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, TripAdvisor immediately and see <laughs> see what's uh, what looks interesting. And um, that that is just it's been really fun to hear your enthusiasm and and learn about how you orient yourself to being in the world. It's it's really delightful. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. In this phase of our lives, we're more aware that our time is precious, and we certainly don't want to waste it taking care of stuff that we no longer need, left over from a life that we are no longer living. We know we would feel better with less clutter and more open space, but we don't know how to get there. If this sounds familiar, I'd love you to check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. This course is different than others you may have tried because we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and tools to help you face the overwhelm and feelings that come up when you're going through your clutter. It's practical and realistic, and the lessons are short and punchy and very manageable, but it has the power to change your life. We all deserve to live in a peaceful home without the chaos of too much stuff. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.